Hello everyone, welcome to episode number 30 of This Is Fine, a podcast where I, your host Ivor, discuss stories, ideas, experiences, circling like the theme of helping you get a firmer grasp on your mental health. Now, I don't know about you, but lately, like when I embark on a new endeavor, I feel like there's something missing. I don't know, maybe this is something I've always been feeling, but I've la- but I've been like more in touch or been able to identify it recently. So this feeling, I think, is very much connected to doing this podcast because though I didn't know it at the time, I kind of made a goal for myself to do like 52 episodes. It was easier with DJ, admittedly, because I felt like having someone to discuss things and issues with is fun and I felt like listeners it was easier to listen to two different perspectives and you know personally there was a side of my humor that comes out and I really like that side Um, and many people can attest that you know the process of just being alive being different being human is riddled with insecurities so I guess you know that was kind of a defense mechanism. Humor is definitely defense mechanism. That doesn't take a genius psychiatrist to figure that out. You know, because we all have some kind of story that makes it hard for us to find something we like about ourselves. Like, when I started out, when I set out, you know, to do this podcast, the idea had been floating in my mind for years You know, and I finally took a leap due to an event that made me question, what the fuck are you waiting for? And here we go. 30 episodes later, I realized that shit, I'm more than halfway there. And coming up with something to talk about each week is is not difficult. But finding a way to incorporate my story and also extract a lesson and hopefully adding value, you know, lining it up with what I believe my purpose is, is a whole different mountain to climb. So this show has sort of like become a tool by which I carve out a feeling or carve out my purpose. And sometimes I'm carving and carving and carving and no shape is forming. But I also think that every action you take, you know, every action you take is shaping your future, your path. Whether you believe what I'm saying or not, whether you're focused on it or not, every action you take, you're shaping something. And life is action. Life is full of action. And if you don't choose what you're shaping, you'll end up with a lopsided dick or something you don't like. What is a lopsided dick? Anyway, and this is where my topic comes in today. What it takes for you to shape whatever it is you want to achieve. And... I think that's self-mastery. So my topic today is self-mastery and the hindrances of self-mastery. I have said in some form or another that doing this show is a form of self-mastery. Maybe not those specific words, but, you know, like, I have to commit, I have to endure, I have to show up, I have to be accountable to myself, not to disappoint myself. You know, to some people, I think, I hope, <laughs> I come across as very, as a very focused individual. And <laughs> let me tell you, the truth is that I give in to distraction really easily. Like, 
Right now, I'm fighting the urge to clean my home for the third time this weekend. You know, I'm fighting the urge to walk up the road and buy a medium-sized bag of M&Ms, not because I actually want them, but because I, for some reason, all of a sudden feel that, hey, I deserve a reward for not going to, I mean, for going to the gym, for reading, for writing, for studying, for working on my purpose this whole weekend, instead of those actions being the reward itself. You know, I, I always find something other to do than sitting down and fulfilling the promise I made to myself. I'd rather fulfill a promise that I made to someone else than to fulfill my own. Like right now, like my massage gun is right next to me. Though it hasn't bothered me this whole time, it hasn't been in its case for four days, but for some reason it's really bothering me now. And through experience, I've learned that if I pick it up, I'm going, I'm giving into distraction and I'll set off like that first neural response of the habit, like that fires other and reinforces the habit of distraction. Distraction is a habit, but not the topic. Or kind of, it does help me make a point in the topic. So like anyone who's ever tried a project of self-improvement, now like be it like uh, studying something or, or be it the most ubiquitous one, exercise, you know, anyone that's ever tried this knows that it's really fucking hard to be consistent, especially when motivation and accountability doesn't come externally. It's so much easier to look good when you're getting paid for it, right? Like, but when you're not getting paid for it, when you're doing it for yourself, it's a different story. You need motivation. And, and motivation is always something that I've thought I was I had a handle on. But as I'm beginning to rethink a lot of my, my thought patterns and my limiting beliefs, I'm starting to have a different perspective on motivation. And I think it's kind of bullshit. It doesn't work because it's temporary. You need to do it every day. You need to decide to look at something that motivates you every single day or, or, or remind yourself of something that motivates you every day. And that, in my experience, has not been easy. And I think I'm starting to delve into the intricacies of self-mastery and I'm beginning to notice a pattern that any endeavor that we successfully accomplish starts with mastery of self. So if we like take a look and we really observe and analyze and study any great figure presently or in history, someone who has quote unquote achieved something in the eyes of the world has a level of self-mastery that we would like to get if you also have this desire to fulfill or accomplish something that you feel is your purpose. You know, and I want to use musicians, actors, directors, presidents, people of, of, of fame because they are the most accessible examples, you know. And as much as I revere black writers, poets, entertainers like Michael Jackson and Beyonce, I feel at this point it's, like I said, low-hanging fruit that, you know, even though I don't think most people truly comprehend the details, the, the level of intricate self-mastery it takes for those people to achieve what they have, to, to, to be at the pinnacle of what they feel their gift, their purpose is. 
So let's get into defining self-mastery. It is very commonly defined as self-control with the ability to exert a strong will against our impulses in order to steer our future to one of our choosing. And I gained clarity on this idea or, or on self-mastery recently as I recalled or, or the story came up for me, a story from a Shaolin ma master. I think it was a TED Talk 20, not 20 years, 2020, two years ago. And I'll try and recount the story as best I can. It goes something along the lines of a man was living close to a mountain now, every day he thought about, like, how would it be to climb the mountain and, and what would I see on the peak? Finally, the day came and he decided, with no plan, no preparation to do it, he set out on his journey, not knowing what to expect or, you know, what he'll find. When he arrived at the foot of the mountain, he met a traveler. He asked the traveler, how did you get up the mountain? What did you see from the top? So the traveler shared his path and, and also the view he saw. And while the traveler was talking, the man started thinking, eh, this, the way this guy is describing this is, doesn't sound very exciting. It sounds exhausting. I need to find another way to get up. So he continued to travel along the foot of the mountain and eventually he ran into another traveler. Again, he asked, how did you climb up the mountain? And... What did you see from the top? So again, the traveler shared his story. And still, the man couldn't determine or find a, a direction for his way to go, for, for him to get up. So he continued on his journey and asked like 30 more travelers. And only after he had spoken to 30 travelers did he finally make up his mind. Now that so many people have shared their path and what they saw from the top, he decided that, no, nope. I don't need to climb the mountain anymore. <laughs> so the story is kind of like anticlimactic. <laughs> and at the time, I didn't really get it. But I think I'm getting more clarity. Because it is kind of unfortunate, unfortunate that this man, you never went on this journey. And I feel like I've embodied both. I've embodied that part very well is wanting to climb a mountain, but circling around the foot, like asking other people how to do it. Um, I think a lot of people can relate to that. I think it wasn't until like a few moments ago that I realized that I'm both the person that's circling the mountain at the bottom and also I'm like somewhere climbing it. And for some reason, this realization made me feel uncomfortable. So I'm not very sure of the direction of this episode about self-mastery, but I'm going to commit. I'll stick to it, like I said in the beginning. Or maybe it's because I'm no longer at the foot of the mountain and I'm making my way up there. Um, but still not having seen the peak, but having had glimpses of clarity, you know, as I ascend. More specifically, these glimpses of cl clarity for me are like also glimpses of self-mastery. Yeah, you can't have self-mastery without clarity. It's hard to have absolute clarity at the base of the mountain through other people's accounts at the peak. Like you, you'll just keep looking up, imagining, but you won't actually know what it feels like. So... I guess what's in the story is that it's no secret that mountains are treacherous. They are full of obstacles, challenges, hindrances, if you will. 
these hindrances, they, their job, they work to prevent or to stop you from going further. And it's at this point where I want to share some of the clarity that I've extracted from this like Shaolin story, this, this Shaolin philosophy. Shaolin philosophy describes that there are five hindrances of self-mastery. And it's kind of like explaining the different states of the mind when you embark on whatever it is, whatever mountain that you wish to climb, whatever peak you want to reach. There are these five overarching and almost like universal mental states that people encounter five hindrances and mostly we are unaware of them and um, I think as I've said before bringing awareness to these things bringing awareness to these mental habits helps you identify when there is an area in your life where you are climbing the mountain and and you are facing an obstacle and you know which one it is and I think you'll be better able to 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 navigate to 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 deal with it to unpack or to solve the problem the five hindrances of self-mastery are sensual desire ill will and aversion dullness and heaviness restlessness and skeptical doubt today i want to talk about the first one i think it's a good idea to like unpack each one with like a new episode and sensual desire being something in which I have a lot of experience. <laughs> sensual desire is something in which you engage that gives you an immediate positive emotional reaction. This positive emotion is allowed into your body through five gates, um, seeing, smelling, hearing, tasting, and feeling. So in your mind, you're climbing this mountain, you're climbing your mountain, and on your path, off to the side, you notice a beautiful restaurant surrounded by magnetic, but also kind of enigmatic people. They're having just the time of their life. They're a wonderful time. It's almost as if they're experiencing joy in slow motion. They notice you looking at them and immediately beckon you to come. Come, come on, partake in the joy. They entice you with childhood laughter and familial smiles. You smell food that makes you think of home, of a time when you can't even remember of any troubles or doubts. And it's easy to follow this temptation. And when you do, you've already lost your way because you've literally stepped off your path. You've literally stepped off your way. So for me, this lesson is that obstacles come in all shapes and sizes. Um, and it kind of it reminds me of what I've learned about and spoken about before, which is like identification with thought. And I think I say that we should be careful of the thoughts we believe in, for they can easily is like steer your consciousness. In fact, it's almost like thought was designed to take control of your consciousness. It's like, hey, sis, I'm here now. You don't have to do anything. You know, it's, uh, I'll take over. It's my job. I'll steer. Hey, this kind of reminds me of a time when I was really, really sick. I think I was in sixth grade. Um, I had developed asthma somewhere, you know, along my childhood. And, you know, the, the dry Namibian air combined with 
a developing allergy that I had to cat and dog care, and we had a lot of cats and a lot of dogs, you know. Um, asthma, it's it's common, it's no big deal, it happens to a lot of kids and a lot of adults too. Um, one particular day, I woke up and I couldn't breathe breathe so well, and and um, and my mom said, stay home, and as a kid, I was like, yeah, sure, yay, I get to stay home, I get to do whatever I want, right? And she said she'll she'll come get me in lunch and take me to the doctor. Um, but that's not how thing. <laughs> I didn't get to do what I want that day because by 11 a.m. I was like unable to stand up straight because I had so much air in my lungs that I literally couldn't stand up straight. Like I could breathe in, but I could not breathe out. That's how asthma works. So somehow, I guess, a survival instinct helped me remember that I had like one one allergy pill left, this little white little allergy pill. I still remember popping it out of the little container, that little um, aluminum type container, and it fell to the ground and I picked it up and I do remember noticing the words Zyrtec. Is it, is, I think it's pronounced that way. Anyway, Zyrtec stamped on the little, like engraved on the little tablet. I don't remember actually putting it in my mouth if I did, I would be lying to you. But I do remember thinking that it will work because I think I understood that it's it helps with inflammation, um, which is part of what happens when you're asthmatic is inflammation. But I do remember getting to the phone to call my mom, which means I eventually made it over to the white landline and the cord all tangled up. And I told her I can't breathe. And she told me, hold on. And at about, I think... 12 I remember getting into the car and the next memory is being at the waiting room at the doctor's office which was very small and there was a lady with a purple skirt like a, a long skirt with some flowers on it I don't remember what my mom was wearing but I do remember the doctor's office and the beige white um, theme that was going on and um I remember the very short white lady with plum colored hair and she had a very stern face with a dismissive way of speaking and told us to sit down. And eventually when our turn came after like two other patients went in, when I saw the doctor, a graying man, I think his name was Dr. Matason, a man that was very fond of me. Like I said before, adults was very fond of me as a kid and I was very aware of that. Um, yeah, a graying man with a, with a broad face and he... He usually wore a, this massive smile when he saw me, but he wasn't smiling then. Um, I just remember him like getting up from his desk and the next memory is him lifting me up on the table. Then the next vignette of the memory is um, him listening to my lungs with his stethoscope and then seeing his face and it literally felt like, like it, it looked like his face went white. He shouted something at the nurse and while he was waiting for her, he kind of like kindly chastised my mother saying that if he's saying that if your son is ever like this again, you just ignore the receptionist and you come straight in. Eventually, the nurse stumbled in. I just heard her stumble and I remember the tray she was carrying and I saw the a massive syringe filled with this brown kind of amber looking liquid. At this point, I was starting to lose awareness and my mom was shaking me, calling my name. I do remember feeling a pinch in my neck, which means that he injected it 
into my neck and I remember both him and my mom calling my name shaking me like lightly slapping my face slapping my cheeks um he told the nurse to call the hospital and then he explained to me and my mom that he injected me with cortisone which is um the way he explained it is like it acts like a trick on the brain and that I'm not really better right now but it does help me to breathe temporarily because the medicine is kind of like telling your brain there's no problem it's it's okay but it goes to the extreme um by saying to your brain you don't have to work at all and he explained very simply and clearly that right now i want to sleep but if you do you won't wake up again i can't remember the expression on my mother's face or on his face i remember the words they were in afrikaans so i was translating them i remember the words and i really really wish i could access like his face and my mom's face at that time um the only thing i do remember is moving my head to the side feeling so tired but seeing the light filtering through the one big window that was hitting his desk in hindsight it tells me that he gave me a lethal amount of cortisone or a near lethal amount of cortisone so he just had to guess and just do what was right in the moment and how this story ties in is in the next part is that it makes me look at how thoughts can take control of our consciousness and this is where my father comes into play in the story so the next step for me was to go to the hospital i think within one hour in those days and i don't know how the system works now but in those days you needed to provide your medical insurance card as proof that yes you do have medical insurance and for us it was tied to my father to make a long story short during the divorce as part of the divorce the court courts had tasked him of ensuring for like um the medical well-being of his offspring you know he was forced to do this legally to ensure that we had medical insurance something that he openly hated doing in any case he mainly hated it i think and looking back at it because it was tied to my mother um my mother had you know called him and asked him to please send a copy so a fax in those days to the hospital because she didn't have hers with her he refused so she communicated to him that i would die but it didn't seem to make a difference for him and in that moment i think what happened was that a thought to control of his consciousness which was so focused on not helping my mother it just steered that steered that within him there was no worry for me um and yes it is sad and it's unfortunate and it does you know mentally fuck me up in some ways um but in this moment i'm just thinking about how one thought had taken control of his consciousness and nothing else mattered and so instead of my mom being you know having to 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 juggle being like driving and focusing on keeping me awake she had to drive home and on the way she had to pick up my brother and my sister from school and then um we had to go find a copy of the medical aid card and then rush to hospital before the effects of the cortisone wears off and i become you know asthmatic again to that degree um so that thought 
That thought took so much of his consciousness that he was unable to see the bigger picture. I'm not making excuses for my dad, like far be it from me to make excuses for that cunt, but I really didn't intend on telling the story. But I think that it's a great example of how thought can grip hold of your consciousness and you are unable to see anything else. This is especially easy with negative thoughts like the sperm donor that resulted in my existence. But I also want to caution that seemingly good thoughts have the same way of seizing control of your, your consciousness. In fact, I kind of think that we need to be even more vigilant with when we identify with positive thoughts. I'm not saying like don't have them. All I'm saying is be careful not to identify and to derive your value from them. On your journey to the top of the mountain, if you decide to take a break at the restaurant, you think you deserve it. You tell yourself just one more drink and I'll be on my way. Then you've already lost track. So when that temptation becomes so strong that you don't want to see the peak of the mountain anymore, then sensual desire has turned into a bit of an obsession. Here's where I want to talk about how sensual desire how it like is a hindrance for my path. The less I engage in Grinder and Tinder and the like, the less I engage in penetrating someone, the clearer I see. It's kind of like masturbating. Like The less I do it, the more t- testosterone I have and the easier it is to wake up early, to work out, to work faster, to focus. So I low-key would make a great monk. But will I become one? Nah, I I do enjoy making sure that he can't clench for a couple of hours every now and again. Anyway, (laughs) the cock and balls of the matter is that sensual desire is a major pitfall for me. And if it is for me, it is also for many people. It's low-hanging fruit, if you will. So my question is, how is sensual desire holding you back? Like, is it watching Netflix documentaries, TV series passively? How can you turn that into the process of climbing your own personal mountain. Now, I justify it by looking for something to learn. Like when I'm engaging my sensual desire visually, I'm looking at it for something to learn. I make notes. I, I, I make notes of lines I found smart, things I found funny. I try and memorize them. I try and use them. I try and, and write something about them. It helps me practice a little bit of mastery on what I allow my eyes to take in. Like, if you're choosing to engage in sensual desire, what is the intent? If your answer is just to switch off, then why are you switching on a screen? Yes, like, everyone's way of switching off is different. Or are you just looking for a way to justify doing the thing that's keeping you from climbing the mountain? I also recognize that everyone that listens to, the, that listens to this wants to climb a mountain. The proverbial mountain here, the metaphorical mountain here, uh, you know, or is striving for their own best at something. This this is for the people who have a gnawing sense of purpose that feels like it's coming from outside of you. Or it's for those people who may be at, at the restaurant and that wonderful food is starting to taste bland because eventually when you get used to wonderful food, it just tastes bland. Instead of looking for a new restaurant, maybe you need to keep climbing that mountain. So I would say on the topic of self-mastery and the hindrances and the hindrance of sensual desire is, as with everything, start just by being honest with yourself. When you're at the foot of the mountain, what is your intent? If you want to climb up the mountain, then commit. 
what I found through experience is the more you talk about doing something, doing the thing that, that, that you think is your purpose, painting, working out, starting a podcast, writing a book, whatever puts fire in your loins, the more you talk about it with other people, the more it becomes a substitute for doing it. When you decide to shut up and stop watching YouTube videos on how to climb a mountain or what shoes to buy, and you realize that all you need is right now because what you have right now is all you you can have. If you decide to climb, do it and know that essential desire, that hindrance, that obstacle is on the path to self-mastery. And here's the trick though. It's the only closest thing to a concrete piece of advice I can give you as a traveler on this mountain, you have to know your behaviors around sensual desire. Which which one is more likely to distract you? Because knowing what pitfalls you are susceptible to may just increase your chances on, con- on, on committing, on continuing, on your journey to reach self-mastery, to realize whatever it is that you think your potential is. Imagine the potential person you can be. Have like an image of the highest, grandest expression of yourself. Imagine that as an actual human being that exists now. Furthermore, now imagine that you don't become that and you you get to the stage of your life where you know for certain you don't have much time left. What would you say to this person? If they asked you why you didn't try, what would you say? There is information that is possible to be shared with words, but it is impossible to share that experience of clarity when you are on that journey of self-mastery, when you know you're getting there, when you, and when you eventually stand at the peak, like you can explain it as best you can, but words are only pointers to their meaning. They're not the thing. The word is not a thing. It is just the pointer to it. So as much as I'm able to string words together, if I really want to, I can describe a beautiful scene for you. Essentially, you feeling it for yourself is the only real thing. So just in closing, I think the lesson here is to, to know that whatever thing it is that you decide you want to realize, that you want to endeavor, that you want to take on, know that yes, you will have obstacles, but being able to define your inner obstacles, like sensual desire coming through you, being allowed through you by your five senses, which one are you most distracted by? And analyze and and ask some questions about why. Look at why, look at your behavior, look at what you do. And look not for the intent of trying to fix it but the best place to start is to notice it and when you and even if you stumble and you do give in and you do go into the restaurant just know that that step of noticing is the first one and the next time you may hesitate more before going into the restaurant and the next time you may realize, you know what, I've been here before, I want to see what's up a little bit further. So, I 
hope you learned something about self-mastery. I honestly didn't intend to tell that story about my asthma thing, but I do like how these random things seem to come out when I talk about stuff. I hope I re I hope I connected it well to to self-mastery and and thoughts and identifying with thoughts whether they be positive or negative. Um so thank you so much for listening to me today. Please take 30 seconds out of your your very valuable time to give me a five star rating on whatever platform you listen to your podcast i really really appreciate it and if you could share it with a friend that would make me even more happier drink your water be kind to someone and if you're not penetrating anyone then love yourself <laughs> okay goodbye everyone <laughs>